I'm excited to go through the book of Numbers again. We're going to begin a study of a new book from beginning to end. Um, just a little background before we get into, into the Numbers. Uh, the book of Numbers is also written by Moses. All right, Moses is, is, uh, is the author of the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so as we just finished the study of the book, the book of Leviticus, um, Leviticus was, was, took place over a period of about a month. So the, the, the children of Israel were, were brought out of Egypt, they were taken into the wilderness, and then Moses, there was this little interlude, and Moses was taken up to the mountain with God, and God gave him all the laws for the, for the Levitical priesthood, which we know as the book of Leviticus. That took, over, uh, that took a, a place over a, about a month, maybe like 40 days, but the book of Numbers takes place in a span of about 39 years. And so as we go through the book of Numbers, keep in mind that, that this is actually the, the wilderness experience of the children of Israel as they're there in the wilderness for about 39 years. And a couple of things about the book of Numbers as well is uh, if you go through it, well, it's called Numbers because mainly because of two numberings that take place in the book of Numbers. One is in the beginning from chapters 1 through 4. We see that, that God commanded Moses to number the people for the, for the specific reason of Knowing how many people they have to do war. He's going to tell them, all right, number all the guys who are 20 years old and above. All those who are able to do battle. And so God instructs Moses to number the people so they can know how big the army is. Because God had the intention of bringing them into the promised land very soon, very shortly. And, 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 and that way they would have already all the rankings. They would have all the people. They have all the armies. They would have all the, all the separations of the tribes. And they would be ready to do war. Now there's a second numbering of the people that takes place in chapter 26. And, and that takes place to a whole other generation. Somewhere along the line between chapter 1 and the end of the book of Numbers, we see that the people rebelled against God. Right? God was supposed to take them to the promised land, but because of their unbelief, because of certain things that take place in the book of Numbers, we see that God had to pretty much wait until a whole generation died. And so this first generation that, 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 we, that we begin with in chapter 1 is going to end up dying in the wilderness and not entering the promised land. And so once that whole generation dies off and, and it's just a second generation with the exception of two guys, one guy by the name of Joshua and another guy by the name of Caleb. Once that whole first generation dies off and it's just that second generation during chapter 26, God does a second numbering because now they're going to say, all right, now let's see who we have. And it's a whole num another set of numbers of men who are able to do battle, men who are able to do war. And then we see later on in a couple books, uh, uh, Joshua we see the account of them actually going into the promised land and, and, uh, and inheriting the promised land that God had promised uh, the, the children of Israel and they actually do battle. But a lot of things take place in the book of Numbers. And again, most of it takes place as they're in the, in the wilderness experience. And I love the book of Numbers. One, because man, there's a lot of awesome life lessons. There's a lot of just good applicable things that take place in the book of Numbers. It's interesting that, that the Apostle Paul, later on in the New Testament, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he would actually bring up some of the things that, that happened here in the book of Numbers, not as a, an encouragement, but more of like a rebuke, and more of like a correction, and more of like, hey, don't do this. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, he says, Moreover, brethren, again, this is Paul speaking later on in the New Testament, thousands of years afterwards, looking back, and he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all, all, that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And he says, But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness 
And now these things, that's those things that took place in the book of Numbers specifically, he says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and, they, and to drink and they rose up to play. He says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor let us complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things, that's all these things that we're going to read about in the book of Numbers. Is all these things happened to them as examples. He says, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. He's saying, look, all these things that, that the apologists warned him about, he says, look, all these things happened to our forefathers and they happened to them for our instruction, right? So, they could, so that we can learn from their mistakes. And he, end, he ends that, that little thought by saying, therefore, take heed, man, to anyone who thinks he stands strong. He says, he says hey, check yourself. He says, take heed, you know, lest you fall, right? Lest if you stand on your own understanding, if you're standing on your own strength, he says, look, these, our forefathers fell because of these things. And if anybody thinks that he stands strong on his own on these things, he says, take heed. Lest you fall. Why? Because it's happened again, right? It's happened in the past and it will happen again. And so with that, uh, with that in mind, we get into the book of Numbers and we'll start off right there in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting. It says, On the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census or take a number of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the numbers of their names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. And so right away we start, we start off again with, with God instructing Moses to number the people, and specific, specifically by tribes. Keep in mind that there were 12 tribes there in Israel that came out of Egypt. And so he tells them, right, number the people and specifically uh, from every single tribe. And then also he says that, and I'm going to appoint you guys uh, one male from every tribe to help you guys out. But I love just right off the bat how it starts off. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses. And where did he speak to him? Where did he speak to him? He says, he spoke to him in the wilderness of Sinai. And where was Moses when God spoke to him? He was in the wilderness, but it says that he was in the tabernacle of meeting. I love this. I love just the way it starts off because it tells that God spoke to Moses and Moses was in the wilderness, right? And not only was he in the wilderness, but he was in the tabernacle, meaning that Moses was seeking God, right? Now, there's a lot of uh, what we call as uh, typologies and symbolism in, in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Numbers and, and, and in Exodus, which are things that, that are types of or they're symbols of uh, New Testament principles. They're Old Testament Applications that are pointed to New Testament uh, uh, fulfillments, right? And there's a lot of things that, that also we can we can take as typologies or a type of or symbols of that we can apply to our lives. For example, the children of, of Israel coming out of Egypt. You know, Egypt is a type of the world, right? And the children of Israel coming, being brought out of Egypt into the Promised Land is a type of the believer. Man, when God takes you out of out of the the, the world. Right? You come to him and man, he cleans you up. He makes you a brand new man, brand new woman. And he brings you into not Canaan, not to the promised land, but he brings you into a new life with him. Right? And so also as the Old Testament describes uh, this wilderness experience, 
You know, for the believer, a lot of people, we, I, mean, I don't know if you ever heard this term thrown around, but, but we enter sometimes into these wilderness experiences, meaning that, man, we, we get into these seasons in our life that as we're walking with God, we feel like, man, you know, I just feel like I'm in the wilderness. I feel like I'm wandering. I feel like I'm just kind of in the outskirts. I feel like I'm not really involved. I feel like, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on. I feel like it's like a time of waiting. I feel like it's like a time of preparation. And we refer to this as a wilderness experience. Right? And sometimes we look at it as something bad, like, I'm just in the wilderness, right? I'm wandering. I'm just kind of wandering aimlessly. Right? And you feel like the children of Israel were, were something that should have taken only a few days ended up being a, a, a long time. For them, it ended up being 40 years. Their travel, their journey from Egypt and from Mount Sinai into the land of Canaan, the promised land, was a journey of about 11 days. But it ended up prolonging it up to 40 years because of the rebellion. Right? So for us as believers, sometimes, again, we liken uh, certain seasons of our walks with the Lord as these wilderness experiences. We're, we're just like, man, I'm just in the wilderness right now. I'm not sure what's going on. Right? Now, I love this about Moses because it says that the Lord spoke to Moses while he was in the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, he was in the tabernacle of meeting. Meaning that even though Moses, man, he was in this wilderness, right? They weren't in the promised land yet, but he was still seeking God. Right? Sometimes we, we, we think of this wilderness experience as, like, as something bad, as something negative. But nowhere in the Bible does that ever uh, uh, allude to that. We see that even the children of Israel, even though they were in the wilderness for 40 years, it was still a good thing because God was preparing them and God was doing something in their hearts. We're studying the book of Luke, on uh, the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings. And I love what it says there in Luke 3, 2. It says that God spoke to John the Baptist while he was in the wilderness. Right? It was while John the Baptist was in the wilderness that he heard from God. And he, he got commissioned. Right? And, and, so, and so my encouragement to you is, hey, don't despise those wilderness experiences because it's there that God, that God wants you to, to get alone. Right? He wants to get you alone. He wants to speak to you. When you think about a wilderness right now, you think about seclusion, you think about uh, privacy, you think about, you know, you're, you're kind of by yourself, right? You're away from all the noise, away from all the traffic. It's just you, the stars, the trees, and whatever's out there, the wild. Right? And, and, and that's the place where God wants to get us in spiritually Because that's where he could write Aside from all the distractions Aside from all the cares of the world He wants to get you alone one on one And he wants to speak to you He wants to minister to you So it was in the wilderness that God spoke to Moses It was in the wilderness that God spoke to John, John the Baptist And it's in the wilderness actually That God ministered to the Lord Jesus We're told there in Luke chapter 4 That it says that the Spirit that Jesus being filled by the Spirit says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. But notice that it was through the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness. And so all these great men, the Lord, Moses, John the Baptist, man, they were in the wilderness when God spoke to them. And so one thing I see about Moses is that God spoke to Moses because Moses was in the place to hear from God. He was in the wilderness and he was in the tabernacle, right? He was in the wilderness by himself and yet he was in the tabernacle seeking God. And, and, and God desires to speak to our hearts as well. God desires to speak to our lives as well. And it's not that, man, God's voice isn't loud enough to speak to us. It's not that he's not powerful enough. It's not that he doesn't know us enough to speak to our, our present situations. But oftentimes it's that we're not in the right place to hear from God. And how can we expect God to speak to us if we're not in the right place to hear? I'm not talking about location. God can speak to us outside of these four walls. He, he does. But I'm talking about it, it, the, the place of the heart. Right? Moses was in the wilderness and he was in the tabernacle. Two physical places. But more than that, he was in the right place spiritually and, and his heart to hear from God. Same thing with John the Baptist. 
Right? And so God spoke to Moses because Moses was in the right place to hear from God. There's a story also in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19 about Elijah the prophet. We're told that Elijah the prophet there in 1 Kings 19, Elijah was a prophet whom God used mightily, mightily. Uh, he, he used him to, 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 uh, to prophesy to the people. He used him to uh, uh, do miraculous things there in the nation of Israel. And then uh, we're told that he even used him there in 1 Kings 18. We're told that he used him to kill like 300 prophets of, of a false god, Baal. Right? So, I mean, Elijah was, was, man, he was a mighty dude. He was a powerful dude. God used him mightily. But then he received a, a death threat from one of the king's wives and he fled into the wilderness. And we're told that it was while, while Elijah was in the wilderness that God ministered to him. And so while Elijah fled to the wilderness, discouraged, brokenhearted, a little afraid, uh, just a little unsure, we're told that, that, that God just, hey, he let him rest in the wilderness. He, he, sent, uh, he even sent ravens to come and feed him while he was there. And then he encouraged him. He said, all right, Elijah, get up, man. I got to talk to you. And then he said, after he gives him a word of encouragement there in chapter 19, he says, all right, Elijah, let's keep on pushing. And he sends him out. Man, it's in the wilderness, right? It, it's, it's during these fiery trials. It's in the wilderness where, where, where God is desiring to, to, to build men and women. All right, where he's desiring, desiring to, to build us up, where he's desiring to speak to us, where he's desiring to, to get a hold of our hearts while we're in that wilderness experience. All right, now keep in mind that here they are, the children of Israel, they just left Egypt, they left their homes, they left their possessions, they left what, uh, all that they knew for about 400 years. It's like, man, all of a sudden you leave your hometown, you go somewhere where you don't know, and you're just uh, forced to rely on God for your direction, your provision, uh, your instruction, for everything. And they're not even at home yet. They're not even at the promised land yet. They're just kind of uh, floating in between, right? But it was at this. It was during that that wilderness experience that, that that God spoke to him, right? And it was during that wilderness experience that we have everything that we have for us here in the Book of Numbers. And so, again, Moses was in the wilderness of Sinai, and he was in the tabernacle of meeting, and that's when God spoke to him. And He tells him, right? He says, "Take a census, meaning take a numbering of all the people, of all the congregation, of all the children of Israel by their families and by their tribes." And then He says this. Now, uh, there in verse 5, it says, These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. It says, From Reuben, and then he's going to name every single tribe. He says, From the tribe of Reuben, he says, Eliezer, the son of Shader. From Simeon, uh, Shelumiel, the son of Zuri. From Judah, Gednashan, the son of Amenadab. From Issachar, Gennathanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. It says, From the sons of Joseph, Joseph was, was one son, but out of him came two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. So he says, so out of Joseph, uh, specifically out of Ephraim, he says, get Elishama, the son of Amihud. From Manasseh, get Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer. From Benjamin, get Abinadam, the son of Kedoni. And from Dan, get Ahazer, the son of Amish. I don't know how to say that name. He says, from Asher, get Pagiel, the son of Orcran. He says, from Gad, uh, Elishab, the son of Duel. And from Naphtali, uh, Ahira, the son of Enon. And so if you, if you count every single one of those tribes, God told Moses, right, go to every single tribe and, 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 and go and find these men specifically. And he names all the 12 tribes. Well, if you notice there, if you count the tribes, we have Reuben, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, uh, which is out of Joseph came two tribes. So technically it's not Joseph, it's Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he mentions Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Gad, Naphtali. And so out of those, and then he doesn't mention the tribe of Levi, and we'll see why later on. And so out of every single one of those, tri those tribes, God instructed him and says, all right, go find this man specifically. This is God speaking to Moses. And then he says this, in verse 16, it says, These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions 
in Israel. I love this. I love this because this is God speaking to Moses in a multitude of about, man, two to three million individuals. And God tells Moses, all right, go to this specific tribe and, and, and go find this specific person, uh, so-and-so from this family and, 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 and from, from, from this household, right? And so it's God who's choosing these men. It's not Moses who chooses these men, right? It's God who's choosing these men to come alongside Moses and do the work. It's God who's choosing these men to come alongside Moses and Aaron and, and, and lead the people. It's God who's choosing these men uh, to come along Moses and Aaron and, and lead the people into battle, even. Right? And I love this because these men were chosen by God for leadership. You know, these, guys, these guys were chosen by God for leadership. Now, we don't know anything about these men except for God through the Holy Spirit uh, uh, saw it fit to include their names here in the book of Numbers. If we read we right through it, I mean, it doesn't really mean much to us, especially because they're going to die eventually, right? And they never even went in to do battle. But God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, saw it fit to include their names here. And we don't know anything else about them except for that God chose them. And I can just imagine them, again, just, they're nobodies. And yet, man, God, God knew them by name. And he told Moses, all right, go find this guy. I know him by name, right? I guarantee you that Moses probably didn't even know who they, who, who they were. Aaron probably didn't even know who they were. In a multitude of about a million, uh, million peoples, million, mil, millions of individuals, you can't know everybody. I don't even think Moses knew who they were except for the God, except for God said, hey, go find this person by name. And I love that because there they are plugging away faithfully, just whatever God had called them to do, they're just plowing away, plugging away, being faithful to their everyday things. And all of a sudden, man, they hear a call from God. And I love this because it's God who calls individuals, right? It's not us. Right? We, I'm not the one who calls somebody, right? Where the church doesn't call somebody. God is the one who places a calling on individuals, right? And God is the one who qualifies an individual for ministry, for work, for whatever it is that, that God is desiring to do, you to do. We put these limitations on each other. Oh, did he do this? Did he, do this? Did he uh, have a certificate? Did he graduate high school? Did he go to Bible college? Did he all these things, right? Does he know the Hebrew, the Greek? Does he study his, all these different you know, requirements that we put on people that aren't necessarily bad requirements, but sometimes the emphasis or the focus is on the wrong thing. Instead of the, 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 the paper certificates or instead of, you know, the, the worldly requirements. And, and sometimes we, we put our emphasis on that and we overlook the heart of a man. And here's God, man. He knows these guys by name. He tells Moses, all right, go find this guy and this guy. Go find this guy and this guy. If I was Moses and I'd be like, no, well, who is he anyway? That he's going to come alongside of us. You know, this is a kind of a big task, God. We're entrusted to bring the whole nation of Israel to the promised land. Are, are you sure we could trust this guy? Who is he? I've never heard of him. God says, hey, man, go call him. I know him. Right? I see his heart. I love this. And so they were chosen, not, not by Moses, not by Aaron, but they were chosen by God. And then verse 17 says, Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name. Hey, man, God sees. Even if nobody else knows your name, God knows your name. Even if nobody else sees what you do, God sees what you do. Even if no one else acknowledges what you do, hey, God does. He sees these things. And so he says, Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name. And they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month. And they recited their ancestry by families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually. And then verse 19 says, As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. And it says, Now the children of Reuben... Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. And then from verses 20 to about 46, it's going to mention every single tribe 
and it's going to mention every single one of those uh, uh, numbers of, of, of male of, of, of male members from that tribe who were 20 years old and above, the ones who were able to do battle. And so it says from Reuben, there were 46,500. It says from Simeon, there were 59,300. From Gad, there were 45,650. I think that's awesome. It's 45,650. 45, it's like, it was me, I would just narrow it to the nearest number. But no, God takes each and every one of those guys into account. It says from Judah... There was 74,600, which they had the, 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 biggest, uh, the biggest tribe. It says, from Issachar, there were 54,400. From Zebulun, there were 57,400. From Ephraim, there were 40,500. From Manasseh, 32,200. And from Benjamin, there were 35,400. And then it says, from Dan, there were 62,700. From Asher, there were 41,500. From Naphtali, there were 53,400. And so keep in mind that these are only counting the men who were 20 years old and above. This isn't counting men. Most, most of the guys at that age and that culture, they would have had like five or six kids by that time. right? They, they begin to get married young, 13, 14 years old. They begin to, you know, to, to start having kids. So man, each one of them had big families. And so counting only all the men of the nation of Israel who are 20 years old and above, we're told there in verse 46 that there were 603,550 men who were 20 years old and above. If you had, maybe see, if, let's say every, each and every one of those had a wife, which they probably did. Okay, then I'll double that number. Uh, let's say each of them had at least two kids, right? You add to that number and man, that leaves us anywhere close to about 2 million, right? And that's a conservative number. That's like thinking kind of small. So it, again, it would have been anywhere from two to three million children of Israel there in the wilderness that, that Moses and Aaron were entrusted to shepherd into the promised land. That's a big task. That's a big task. And whenever you have that much amount, that, that much, uh, or that, that big amount of people, man, there's always conflicts that arise. Man, even if you have a smaller, a smaller crowd of people, man, there's always conflicts that arise. And so we're going to see a lot of those things that arise as we go through the book of Numbers. And so it goes on to say, then in verse 47, it says, but the Levites who were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. It says, they were not numbered. It says, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor, you should, nor shall you take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And so... All the 11 tribes were numbered and all of them were, 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 were numbered and they were taken into account to do battle, to do war, except for the tribe of Levi. God says that the tribe of Levi, Moses was not to number. They were not to consider them for war because the tribe of Levi was specifically set apart to do the work of the tabernacle, to do the work of, you know, of the church, you could, you could say. And verse 51 says, And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levite shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, set up the Levite shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death, and the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there, be, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. And so as these 11 tribes were numbered, uh, men who could do war, God says, all right, but as far as the tribe of Levi, he says, you're not going to number them to do war. He's going to number them later on for, for the work of the, of, of the ministry, for the work of the tabernacle. But he says, you're not, going to, you're not going to take them to account to do battle. 
Meaning that when they went in to do battle, uh, the tribal Levites stayed behind. Right? They, didn't go in and they, they didn't go in and didn't fight physically, but they fought spiritually. And so it's interesting that, that as God is, is again, is, is saying everything in order, he says to the, to the tribe of Levi, he says, all right, he says, not only is a nation going to be numbered for battle, but they're also going to be set, you know, in specific places. So it wasn't like a free for all right, man, we got this whole crowd of mixed people. No, we see that even when they pitched their tents, that they were, they, they, they had their, spe- their specified uh, campgrounds. I says, all right, this tribe, this tribe and this tribe are going to camp out right here. This tribe and this tribe are going to camp out over here. And it's all going to be uh, surrounding the tabernacle, with the tabernacle of God at the center. Keep in mind that the tabernacle is, is that meeting place, right? It's where Moses would go in there to meet with God, to hear from God. It's where the, 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 the sons of Aaron, the priests, would go in there and they would minister to God. They would offer sacrifices, they would offer incense. And it's where the tribe of Levi was to work also. And so we're told that the tabernacle was set in the middle of the camp. And all the tribes were going to be around it. But we're told that the tribe of Levi was going to be immediately outside of the tabernacle. And again, it says that the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony. I love that. Because later on also in the book of Joshua, as they go into the, into the promised land, we're going to see that each one of the tribes, they're going to be given to them a specific plot of land, uh, which is, man, like acres and acres and acres, I mean, miles upon miles of land. Every single tribe is going to get a physical, uh, a physical property except for the tribe of Levi. So they're all going to get an inheritance except for the tribe of Levi. And the Bible says this, it's because the Lord, their God, will be their inheritance. They weren't going to get anything physical, but they were going to get something spiritual. It says the Lord, their God, was their inheritance. And so it, 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 I think it's awesome that the tribe of Levi, again, that, that they were entrusted with the work of the tabernacle, meaning uh, they were entrusted with everything that had to do with the presence of God. You know, and for them, that would have been the more important thing, right? More than going out and doing battle, more than, out there, uh, than going out there and building houses and making money and all these different things. God said, look, I want you guys to focus on me. Focus on me. So much so that they were to be uh, immediately around the tabernacle. And it goes on to say, there in chapter 2, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard, besides the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those are the standards this is, of the forces with Judah shall camp. And so, as we go on through these verses, pretty much uh, uh, all of chapter 2, God is giving them uh, their roadmap. He's telling them, all right, where they're going to camp out. Right, again, with the tabernacle at the center. And so, everything that they do is going to be revolved around the tabernacle, the presence of God. And I love this because it has a, a New Testament application for us as believers today. Man, that everything that we do revolves around the presence of God in our lives. These guys would, again, as they're setting up camp, man, they're, they're doing it around the tabernacle, around the presence of God. For us too, as you go to work, as you build your home, as you build your, 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 your family, as you just do your everyday, day-to-day things, man, everything that we do should revolve around the presence of God in our lives. Right? It's not that we separate... Our relationship with God, with our job, we don't separate our relationship with God with our family from our family. We're not one person in church and another person out there, right, man? Whatever God has to do in our lives, He has to do in all of our lives. Paul would say this in First Corinthians. He says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And then he would say this in Colossians. He says that you would be rooted and built up on God. And so Paul says that the root 
he, 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 he's making this, this, uh, this metaphor you know, of, the, of the Christian believer, of, of the life of the believer to this, uh, this plant or this tree. He says, the root, meaning the source of life for that plant, is God. It's the presence of God. So that you would be rooted in love and that you would be rooted and grounded in God. Says, and upon that bill. Meaning that the presence of God was, was to be the very center of their lives. It's to be the very center of our lives. And if you think about what the Apostle Paul says, he says, again, that you would be rooted and grounded in love and that you would be rooted and built up on God, on Him. Man, if you have a tree, no matter how strong a wind or how strong a storm, if the roots are, are, are firmly rooted, deeply rooted and grounded, man, that tree could withstand almost anything. Right? But if the roots are dead, no matter what comes, man, even the slightest storm is going to knock it over. Right? And, and again here, as we take it back to the book of Numbers, man, they're, they're being set up with God at the center of everything that they do. Meaning that when they would get up in the morning to go get their food, when they would get up in the morning to go to the grocery store, when they would get up in the morning to go visit their, their neighbor for the kids to go play around, and the first thing they would see, man, God at the center, right? God's at the, at the center of our lives. God at the center of our day. He's at the center of our provisions. He's at the center of our jobs. He's at the center of our families. Right? It's, a, it's a beautiful picture of the life of the believer. Right? We have God at the center. And if, and if God is a God of, of, of my relationship, he's, he's, a, he's a God of everything, my marriage, of my family, of my household, of my job even, right? He's my God. He's able to provide. He's, he's present with me at all times. And so he gives them the locations where they're to camp out. And so we see that the biggest tribe is going to camp out uh, uh, towards the, the, the bottom of the tabernacle. He's going to see that the, we're going to see that the, the, the smallest tribes are going to be at the very top. And then uh, the other two tribes are going to be one to the left and one to the right. Both of them are almost equal in number. And so many people have, have, uh, have drawn it out like on, a, on a map and stuff, you know, and, and, and as far as the wilderness. And um, it actually, it's amazing how, you know, it actually even forms a, like a cross, right, with the tabernacle at the very center. The most people at the bottom, uh, you have a little bit less at the top, and then on the two sides, uh, almost equal amount of, 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 of people. So if you were looking at it from like a drone or something, man, you would just see this cross just, uh, just wandering through the, to the wilderness, wandering through the desert for 40 years. Heavy, with God at the center always. And then chapter 3, we get now uh, to the sons of Aaron, which is Moses' brother. It says, now, he, now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. He says, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. It says, these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to be ministers, uh, to be minister as priests. And so we see that Aaron was the brother of Moses. So both Moses and Aaron were of the tribe of Levi. Right? And again, God had already appointed that the whole tribe of Levi were to be the priests. But, or, or were to work in the tabernacle. But if you wanted to be a priest or a high priest, you had to be not just of the tribe of Levi, but specifically of the descendants of Aaron. Or you had to be of, 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 the, of the sons of Aaron and of their descendants. And so God now is giving instructions to Aaron and to his, his sons for the priesthood. And he says, there in verse 4, it says, Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. And so Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And we read about this as we went through the book of Leviticus. We're told that there was a time where uh, the, the, the Spirit of God had, and the presence of God had come into the camp, right? And everybody was just excited. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were praising God. Something amazing was, happen, was happening, 
And the people were just stirred up, man, in a good way towards God. Everyone was just, was just worshiping God there in the, in, in the wilderness. Two million people just worshiping, praising God. And in the midst of all of this, we're told that these two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, probably under the influence or are intoxicated, uh, probably under the influence of alcohol, they, they, they got in themselves to go in there and to offer incense on their own behalf. Not because God had commanded them to, not because they were supposed to, but they took it upon themselves to worship God in a way that God did not desire to be worshipped. Right? They were offering pretty much their own religion. God had already spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, look, this is the way you're to approach God. These are the times, these are the customs, and these are the people who are to come. Right? And in the midst of, of, of God moving and His presence just uh, stirring up the people, they said, man, this is so cool. Oh, you know, we should do this. Boom. And they went in there and, and, and they got, they got uh, struck to death. Because they approached God in a way that God did not desire to be approached. Wow. You may think, man, it's kind of hardcore. It's kind of heavy. Like, why would God do that? I thought God was a God of love. I thought God was a God of mercy. I thought God was a God of peace. Yeah, God is all those things. But He's also a God of order. Right? And He's also a God of justice. And if God is a God of justice, then He can't overlook evil. Right? For all of us who say, man, I can't believe all this wicked stuff's going on. Man, I can't believe people are getting away with all, this, with all these things. They're going to have their day. Maybe not here, but the Bible says that each and every, every man is appointed once to die. And after death, the judgment. Right? So maybe we won't see judgment here on earth, but they're going to see it when, when they die, when they close their eyes and they go into eternity. And so God is a God of, of, of justice also. But because God had already appointed a way to approach Him, there was no other way to approach God but by this, this specific way that He had spoken to Moses and Aaron. And these two guys took it upon themselves, saying, all right, you know what? I know that with, we know, they knew. Like, we know that this is the way that God has asked to be approached and to be worshipped, but we think we should do it this way. And we see, a lot about, we see a lot of that in the world, right? Where, I mean, some people would even say, hey, man, God's like a, a, a rim, right? He's at the center, and every spoke is just a different way to God. But yeah, man, Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He didn't say, I'm one of the truths. He didn't say, I'm one of the lives. No, he says, I am the way. Right? And so, and so Jesus, Jesus draws out for us a very narrow path to God. It's one way, through Christ, you know, through, through God's Son, through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on, the, shed on the cross for us. And so we see that Nadab and Abihu, in, in a sense, what they were doing is that they were offering their own religion to God. They were saying, I know this is the way that God is, is, is to be approached, but I think this is better. Man, we see that every single day. We see that all around, right, in our society. Anything but biblical, uh, uh, but, but biblical, a uh, biblical relationship with God. Like, man, any, they'll take anything, right? Man, you could say anybody else's name, but you mention Jesus, you mention the Bible, and all of a sudden you're you're a bigot, hypocrite, this, this, that, and the other, and nobody wants to shut you up. Why? Because man, society would rather go to God any other way except for the way that He's called us to go through, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so we see that again as as God is speaking to Moses and Aaron, and Aaron concerning his sons, He says again that that. Uh, Aaron had these four sons, Nadab and Abihu. They died before the Lord when they offered profane fire. That word profane actually means unsolicited. Unsolicited fire means God said, hey man, I never asked for that. So they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai and they had no children. So, so Eleazar and Ithamar, that's uh, uh, Aaron's other two sons, is they ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. Now, this is important because it, it, it gives a lesson. You know, that Nadab and Abihu, because of their sin, man, they had no legacy. Because they offered profane fire to the Lord and, and they were struck dead, 
because of their sin, they die. And then it says, notice that they had no children. Meaning that they were probably young when they did it. They had no kids at the time. Right? But because of their sin, man, they left no legacy behind. So forever, so their name was going to stop right there. Their lineage was going to stop right there. And for the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, that's a big thing. Man, if you don't have any kids to carry on your last name, to carry on your, 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 your lineage, to carry on uh, you know, your, 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 your name and your memory, man, you would have been considered uh, uh, condemned by God. Right? And now these guys, again, their lineage was cut off because they sinned. And so because of sin, man, they left behind no legacy. But these other two sons of, of Aaron, Eleazar and Ithamar, says, hey, they ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their, their father. And then their sons are going to minister as priests, and then their sons are going to minister as priests, and then their sons after them are going to minister as priests. Man, this beautiful legacy that they're leaving behind for their kids. Hey, man, knowing God, worshiping God, hey, being, uh, being a, a priest unto the Lord, right? Through obedience, through all these uh, sacred things. I love that. I love it because for us in the world as well, I mean, not that our sin is going to uh, physically you know, keep us from having kids. Sometimes it can. But it's like, man, as you stray away, right, and you seek the things of this world or you seek these things that, that, that take you away from God, it's like you're literally cutting off your, your, your legacy because now where are your kids learning, right? How are they being brought up in a godless world, not knowing who God is, how to approach God, how to know God, how to worship God, how to have a relationship with God. That's it, man. You might as well have your whole legacy cut off because it's already destroyed. Right? But when you as a parent put it in your heart to seek God, you know what? Like Joshua said later on, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's a story in the book of Joshua once again to the promised land and Joshua sees that everyone, all the tribes have their own properties, have their own territories, have their own land and a lot of them begin to worship uh, 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 these false gods, the gods of the Canaanites. They get into idolatry and Joshua, he makes it a point. He says, you know what guys? He says, I don't know about you. You guys do whatever you want. But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he, made the, he, he took a strong stand on behalf of his family. He said, look, man, you other tribes, you guys can do whatever you want. But you know what? As for us, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve the Lord. Right? Amen. And, and God blessed them for that. And so we see again that for Eliezer and Ithamar, hey, they ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And then it says this in verse 5 of chapter 3. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses again, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near. And present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting, to do the work of the tabernacle. And also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting, and to the needs of the children of Israel, to do the work of the tabernacle. Of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to the priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall not be put to death. And so God tells Moses and Aaron, He says, "All right, He says, bring the whole tribe of Levi. He says, bring them to Aaron. He says, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna serve Aaron, right? Not just Aaron uh, as the individual, but meaning all of his sons, the whole priesthood. And so the tribe of Levi was given as, a, as like workers, right? They were to help out the priesthood, and for their whole life, they had their whole career set. Man, I would love that. I would love it. I was just born into the world. All right, what am I gonna do? All right, here is gonna be your career for the rest of your life. All right, cool." And this is what you're going to get paid. And this is, this is what you got to do for the rest of your life. Awesome. All right. Cool. Just get right to it. What about my kids? Oh, yeah. When your sons are born, they're going to do this also. Man, that's what they had. That's what they had. They had job security for the rest of their life. Right? They didn't have to go look around uh, uh, and looking for things to do. They, they knew what they had to do. Right? And that is to assist the priest and to work in the tabernacle. Later on, when the, when the temple of God will be built by Solomon, then the priest will begin to minister there in the temple. 
right? And the high priest would, would, would be ministering there in the, in, in, the, in the temple as well. Right? We're told there in the Gospel of Luke uh, about, about a man, a righteous man um, named Zechariah. It says that he was of old age and he ministered in the temple. Right? It was John the Baptist that, but as he was ministering, again, he was of the tribe of Levi as well and of the sons of Aaron. And so we're told that the whole tribe of Levi was given to, to serve the priesthood. Right? They had a job. They had a, a very special job. They had a very important job. They had a very sacred job. That was to, to minister there in the tabernacle. And again, it says, it says that in verse 10, it says, So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes in here shall be put to death. Meaning, look, again, God had, a, God had his guys who were going to minister there in the tabernacle. He says, no one else can be part of this. Right? It wasn't that they couldn't approach God. If they wanted to, they could come to the tabernacle whenever they wanted with the sacrifice. They could seek God. We're going to see that God's leader going to raise up kings and prophets right, from other tribes. It didn't mean that the rest of the people couldn't approach God or couldn't know God or couldn't serve God. But this specific work of the priesthood, God says, look, I appointed you know, specific men to do this. Right? And so when it comes to the work of the ministry, man, God has appointed each and every one of us with a task. Not all of our tasks may be the same thing, but it doesn't make it any less equal or, or, or any more important. Right? Just because I'm up here teaching doesn't mean that, hey man, that the sound isn't as important as that, that the children's music isn't as important as that, that the evangelism, that the, you know, the cleaning up, the coffee even, man. Whatever God has called you to do. Right? If God has called you to do, man, do it with all your heart. Do it all your heart, because that's what God has appointed you to do. Right? It doesn't mean that one is more than the, or above the other. It just means that, hey man, that's what God has called you to do. Right? God has his people who are going to do this, and God has his people who are going to do that. Paul later on in 1 Corinthians, he would liken the body of Christ, the church, to a physical body. And he says, look man, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The, the finger can't say to the, to the nose, hey, I don't need you. The eyes can't say to the mouth, I don't need you. Because we all are one body and we work, we function together. Right? The eyes need the mouth, the mouth needs the hand, the hands need the feet, the feet need the legs, the legs need the, need the arms. He says, look, we're all one body. Different functions, different members, we're one body. And we're all under Christ. That's Christ and Christ is the head. And so it goes on to say, there in verse 11 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so God says, God had appointed this law there in, in Israel. That every firstborn male son, whether it's of the flock, other animals, or if it's individuals, he says, look, they should be dedicated to God. Right? And so God says, look, I, I've, I've, I've appointed for myself the whole tribe, not just their sons, but the whole tribe as my firstborn. Meaning, look, I've dedicated them unto myself. And then it says this, now we're going to see a census taking of the, of, the, of the Levites. In verse 14 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi. By their father's houses, by their families, you shall number every male from a month old and above. And so when it came to the men who could do war, it was from age 20 and above. But when it came to, to, to the Levites, it was from a month old and above. So even the little babies, every little baby who was a month old and above, all right, they, were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were in the census, they were, they were numbered as well. And it says in verse 16, So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he commanded. And then it goes on to say from verse 17, and, and, and up to verse 39, it gives us uh, all the numbers and, uh, and all the families. Now, <laughs> you could read through this and think, oh, well, cool, man, what does it have to do with me? Well, directly nothing, right? But 
one thing I love about Moses and one thing I love about Aaron and one thing I love about what God has called them to do is that this is out of probably everything that Moses and Aaron did, this is probably one of the most uh, tedious and kind of um, boring tasks that they had to do. Man, imagine, all right, I've got a number of you guys. How many, how many are you? About 50,000. Oh, man, it's going to be a long day. All right. Come in, you guys. One by one by one by one by one. I mean, man, who wants to do that? All right, I for sure don't. Like, man, do we have two million people? Can't someone else do it? Well, if I was Moses, I'll be honest, that's what I would have said. Man, can someone else do it? Or Aaron, hey, man, find someone else. Man, I got things to do. I got more important things to do. Right? And when it comes to the ministry, man, sometimes we get approached in ministry that way. Oh, man, God, I, I want to teach, but uh, I don't want to set up chairs. Or, man, God, I want to go evangelize, but, oh, man, I don't want to, you know, do the sound. Or, oh, man, God, I'll go on a mission trip. Oh, man, send me to Guatemala, send me to Mexico, Lord, I'll go preach for you in Africa. But, oh, man, I can't teach the kids next door. Right, that's that's kind of boring, or that's not for me, or that's whatever. Nah, man, I, what I love about Moses and Aaron is that everything that God called them to do, they did it with the utmost respect and reverence and carefully, right, in obedience to God. Why? Because they saw that, man, no matter what God called them to do, whether it was to number two million people or take a whole army to battle and to kill a whole nation to overtake a whole land and 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 and, and overthrow overthrow kingdoms like all right man it's just as important right whether it was all right man go minister in the tabernacle and see the presence of god man speaking to you and coming down from heaven and seeing this glorious thing or whether whether it was hey man go stand in line and number a bunch of people all day amen they did it because god had called them to do right god had called them to do it i love that i love that because if we think of Things, you know, in terms of importance or in terms of, you know, uh, whatever else it may be. Man, that's fading. Right? If I'm doing this, if I'm coming to teach just because, all right, God, I'm doing this because, uh, you know, because five people show up. All right. That's the only reason I'm doing it, because five people show up. What about the day that only one person shows up? Am I going to cease doing it because, all right, God, all of a sudden it's not exciting. All of a sudden it's not worth it. All of a sudden it's just one person. No. I'm not doing this because... I was because of anything outside of God called me to do it, right? And so when it comes to ministry, one important thing to, to always remember and to keep in mind is that the need never justifies the call. Only the call justifies the need. Meaning, if I'm doing something for any other reason except for God called me to do this, that's fading. I'm going to get tired because I'm not doing it for the right reason. Even if there was a need, Right? Man, the needs are all day. There's needs everywhere. I step out of the doors, there's needs. I leave my house, there's needs. Wherever I go, there's needs. If I minister to the Lord based on our need, man, I, I, I'll never stop. Right? So the need never justifies the call. Because then what happens when, right, when the need ceases? All right, well, there's no more need in city terrorism. All right, cool. Or, well, I guess I'll go back home. No, there's always going to be a need. But I'm not here because there's a need. And we don't do what we do for God because there's a need. We do it because we're called. Right? And if God calls us, man, then... God equips us. And if God calls us and he equips us, then he's going to strengthen us. And if God calls us and equips us and strengthen us, he's going to give us vision. And if God calls us, equips us, gives us vision, and he's going to carry us through. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read just the, 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 from verse 14 on. And when chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. His, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and all the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel, it says, so Moses numbered all the firstborn among all the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. So he did it. Why? Because the Lord commanded him. And he did it as the Lord commanded him. 
I, I, I would do anything, I'd rather do anything else but number of babies, specifically. I was out crying, all right, they're online. Man, you got about a thousand babies, not for sure, at least like 900 of them are crying. <laughs> all right, bring them here, you know, let me, oh man, what's that smell? Oh, here, just get them here, let me just number, number them down. No, but he did it, right? He says, as the Lord commanded him. And verse 44 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all their firstborn, says, among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. He says, And the Levites shall be mine, for I am the Lord. He says, And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of children of Israel, says, who are among the number of the Levites, he says, You shall take. And he's going to give them instructions. Uh, he's going to make like an exchange. God says, All right, because all these firstborn male of the tribe of the Levites are mine, you're going to exchange it for uh, a, a monetary weight. He's going to tell him, right, give this much money to the temple. He says, in exchange for, uh, for the Levites. It's a fair trade, he says. And verse 49, so Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and those who were over and above, those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. And all, everything that Moses did, it was because God had commanded him to do it. The one time, the one time that, God, that, that Moses did something that God didn't command, it cost him the entrance into the promised land. Every single thing that God called Moses to do, he did it. But there was one instance where the people were crying out because they were, they were nagging, they were complaining because they were thirsty. Right? Uh, God had already worked through Moses and God told Moses, right, go and strike the rock. Right? And water is going to come out. The people were beginning to nag, to complain, say, man, we're thirsty, Moses, we're thirsty, what are you going to bring us out here to die? to die? And Moses steps out of line without seeking God first. He goes and he strikes a rock and he says, nah, you stiff-necked people, what, do I have to come and do this for you every time? Where are you going to get it? And he was all mad at the people and he went away. And, and God tells him, hey, Moses, come here, man. He says, I didn't call you to do that. He says, but because you misrepresented me, he says, you can't take the children of Israel into the promised land because you misrepresented me. Mm-hmm. Notice that. So there was one thing, one thing about Moses, that he always obeyed when God called him to do things. The one time, the one time that he stepped out, stepped out of line and does things on his own understanding, it cost him the promised land. Right? I'm so glad that God is gracious and he's, uh, he's long-suffering with us. Right? Because he doesn't deal with us in that way. Right? We have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. We have the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. And God is a merciful God. God is a just God. And God is a long-suffering God. He is patient with us. If that was the case, man, I'd be kicked out a long time ago. I wouldn't have been able to see nothing, man. Hey, angel, you did this, and I didn't tell you. Oh, sorry, Lord. That's like every other week, man. But hey, that's not God. You know, he's a gracious, uh, he's a just, he's a long-suffering God. Right? He did that with Moses because he, he needed to set an example because of what he did misrepresented him uh, concerning Christ. And we'll get into that when we get into that chapter. But I love this about Moses. It says that everything that God commanded him to do, it says Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Awesome. I wish I could say that. When I die, I want to say that. I want to say, Lord, I did everything you called me to do. I'm ready to go. Amen? Okay, Moses. Father.